This morning, I want to put before you the promise that God has made. And it's this, it's that whatever's born of God overcomes the world. In the same way that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has no response, God says, I have a way for your life to go that the enemy has no answer for. He has no weapon. He has no defense. He has no capacity to resist. And the question is, how connected is our heart to that journey, to that way? And God is saying, listen, if you would seek for me with all of your heart, all of your heart, 100% of what's in you, nothing can stop you. This is the promise of what's born of God. So I want to say today, whatever the situation that's facing your life, there's a way. There are streams in the desert. There is a light that shines in the darkness. There is hope that overcomes depression and discouragement. So we say in the name of Jesus that God, let God, let God reign here today in our worship and in our lives. Where there was no way. I can't help thinking about the different people in the ministry of Jesus that Jesus was about to bypass, but they did something unusual that got his attention. And, uh, you know, sometimes we wait like nice people. We wait in line, we stand in line, and we think, if it's God's will, he's going to do this, or, or I'll wait my turn. But yet, you know, blind Bartimaeus that was standing there or sitting there in his spot, when he heard that Jesus was coming by, he made a spectacle in order to get the attention of Jesus. You know, the guy with the, who's paralytic and his four friends, there was crowds of people. There was a whole lineup of people. They were in line first. And what did these guys do? Forget about the line. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're pressing through, and they made a hole in somebody's roof. And the woman with the issue of blood, again, there's, there's crowds of people around Jesus. When people got touched by the power of God, it's not because they followed the prescribed, understood way. It's because they were so desperate, they, they broke the mold of decorum. They broke the mold of being dignified. They broke the mold of, of you know, whatever, what's everybody going to think of me? I'll just wait my turn. If it be thy will, O God. So, Father, we want to say today, you are the source of life. And God, I pray that the desperation and the faith to believe that we can break through, that we can touch you, that you are not far off, that you are close, you are within reach, if we will just extend our hearts. Lord, we want to extend our hearts and our, our sound to you today because we believe, we believe, we believe that you are not far off that our healing is right in front of us, that our miracle is right in front of us, that our financial breakthrough is right in front of us. God, you have the resources. There's two types of people that miss God. They're the ones that God resists because God resists the proud. And there are those who wait to be good enough. And those that wait to be good enough 
won't get it. And those that think they're good enough won't get it. But in between those two types of people, there's a, there's a person who knows they have a need, but realizes that his love is reaching out. And I don't, don't have to be afraid of missing that it's not on me. It was on Jesus. It's always been on Jesus. That the blood of Jesus compensates for my sin. The blood of Jesus is what makes me acceptable in his sight. And so if you're standing here and you're wondering, is there a chance yet for God to give you a new life, a better life, to redeem the past? I want to say, yes. That in the same way he said to us, forgive your brother 70 times 7. When they repent, he said, I'm not inclined to do less. I am not inclined to do less. This is what it talks about. It's talking about the mercy of God. New every morning. That he takes your sin, he takes your transgression, he throws it as far as the east is from the west. And so, Lord, we want to come in today the right way. We want to come in not because we deserve it, nor do we want to hold ourselves back for fear that you might not welcome us, for fear that your anger is against us. We want to step in to the Beulah land, to the promised land, to the peaceful land, to the promise that you have made to us that you would be our God and we would be your people. And we come saying, Lord, we don't even know how to be your people. But you've given us the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. And so we say, Holy Spirit, lead us in. Just take a couple seconds here and thank him for his blood. Thank him for who he is. When I hear that song, it brings me back to the day I gave my life to Jesus. I was that one. And those words to that song, it's so true. It's, he did everything he could. I just see how he, he kicked those walls down. He found a way into my heart. He didn't want to leave me in that place. And that's the Jesus we serve. And so, Father God, right now, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for what you did for each and every one of us, God. That, Father, you do not want to leave us where we're at. You don't desire that at all. And even right now, in this moment, at this time, there are lows in this place, God, that you are saying, I know you're here. I see your face. I know what's on your hearts. I know your hurts. I know your wounds. And I'm not leaving you there. I'm not leaving you there. I am right here, right now. And in this moment of time, you can come to me. And so, Father, that's what we do right now. We come to the loving God who died for our sins, who came here today to bring healing to our hearts. And we give you all glory in Jesus' name. And as a body, can we say amen? Amen. amen. 
All right. So, Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, we pray. We pray that your truth, Lord, that you, that, that the truth that sets us free, the truth that increases our faith, the truth that causes us to participate increasingly in the kingdom of God would be ours today in Jesus' name. And I want to start with a passage of Scripture that you may be familiar with, and you may not be, but it's in Job. How many of you have read Job this last week? Anybody read Job? Job is not really a, a go-to passage or book for most of us. You know, I don't know if it reminds us of, you know, God's dealings and maybe it become afraid that, you know, God, uh, it's great that you did that great thing through Job and, you know, you purified him and he brought him to a new level of faith. But surely there's got to be an easier way. Um, and uh, don't do that with me. But uh, I was began reading in, in chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it. But there was a description in there. One of the things that Job is great for is descriptions of God because the whole book is about elevating your revelation, your understanding of God. So Job starts in this book as, a, as an amazing man of God. I mean, he's so amazing that God is bragging about him. Imagine that. God, Satan is coming before God and God is bragging about Job. Would you like God to brag about you? Right? It's like, it's, it's like you know, it just sort of raises the, the desire of Satan to hit you. And it, it almost happened that way. So I'm not sure I want God to brag about me. But God brags about Job. So he says, listen, there's, there's no one like him on the face of the earth. And I'm sure Job afterwards said, thanks for that, God. I don't, I don't know who wrote the book of Job. You know, like who, who, who actually saw that thing happening in heaven and wrote about it? So I, I don't know who did that. I, it might be Job, but we don't really actually, I don't really know. But, but anyway, God is bragging about Job because Job has this revelation. And according to the standard of the day, he is walking perfectly. He is, he is, he is doing extremely well. Now, They don't know anything about the heart at this point. They actually don't understand the concept of a pure heart. What they have is obedience. Are you not sinning? And are you doing things correctly? Are you behaving properly from Sunday to Sunday to Sunday? Are you... Are you giving to the Lord? Are you being good to the poor? Are you being a good steward? Are you, are you, you know, and th- these are the things. So then suddenly when things start to go backward, the friends of Job, they actually come to him because they, they're, they're only looking on this level. They're only thinking, well, you must have done something wrong. You must have defrauded the poor. You must have stolen. You must have. And this is what they came to him with. And, and he's like, no, I haven't done anything. This is so not fair. I've been great. Now, the truth is, let me, let me throw a couple things out there. Satan doesn't need to have anything proven to him by God. In other words, God is really not interested in proving something to Satan. 
You need to know that. Even right now, the things that are happening in your life have nothing to do with Satan. Anything that God uh, seems to permit to allow happen in your life is not because of your relationship with Satan or non-relationship with Satan. It has nothing to do with the juxtaposition of the kingdom of darkness and you. It has everything to do with God saying, I want this person to experience more of me. And so when God is looking at Job, who is doing amazingly well, God, God decided what that guy deserves is more of me. More of me. You need to, know, you need to understand that today when you're running into trouble, when things aren't going as you think they are. Because right away we go to punishment paradigm, right? It's like, what have I done wrong? You know, uh, we're actually going to an Old Testament kind of paradigm, right? You know, a limited perspective paradigm. Because the Bible says all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So in the Greek, all things is an all-encompassing word. It means almost the same as it means in English. All. Everything. That's the extent of my Greek knowledge. All in the Greek means all in English. Everything, all things work together for good. So, anyway, that's sort of the background. I could say more things about that, but that's not really the point of what I wanted to say. But what happens is this clarity starts to come out of how great God is. And at the end of it all, Job says, before I knew you, but now I know you in a different way. Before I knew you, and this is the way he articulates it, he says, before I knew you according to the hearing of the ear, but now I really know you. And this this here is, even though it's in the Old Testament, this is a New Testament concept. What Paul prayed for, and we've talked about this again and again and again, Colossians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, the apostolic prayer that Paul prayed for the church and the new believers was that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know the hope of your calling and what is the exceeding greatness of his power at work where inside of you. So this purpose, that God would show you the power that's at work inside of you, is what he was doing with Job, and is what he was doing with Paul, and is what he's doing with me, and he's what, it's what he's doing with you. He's trying to get you to understand the greatness of who God is. But more importantly, now we, it's like not only God in general, but God at work inside of you. He wants to elevate your knowledge to say, hey, do you understand the power that's inside of you? And that's, this becomes the, the significant question. And so we put it out there. How powerful is God? Well, he's as powerful as you believe him to be. Well, he's all-powerful. Nah, that's not real knowledge. That's knowledge that you read in a book. That's, that's information. That's data. That is factually true. But you actually don't believe that. What you believe... If I can be clear about this, what you believe is what you manifest. The amount of power at work in your life is the amount to which you really know God and believe he can work. Ah, man, it's far easier to be academic, isn't it? It's far easier to use superlative language. God is all-powerful. 
You know, because we can hide behind the perfection of those complete words. When God is saying, listen, the problem with those complete words is your heart isn't aligned with them. And what I'm trying to do is making that a reality inside of you. What I'm trying to do is release the atomic energy of my presence that is in you, that I put in you, that caused you to be born again. There's so much power there, you have no clue what's there. But the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is at work right now in you. So the question is, is it bringing the same influence to bear on your life as, it, as, as the capacity that it has? And I think all of us would say, no. I mean, this, this, is, this is the thing in my life. If I could track, and there's a number of barometers, you know, measures that I use for my life, but one of them is, is why isn't it working the way I think it should? And I think that's a question we should always be asking. I mean, if, I'm, if I got the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit can do all the things that is in the Bible, how come I can't even make it to class on time? How come I can't fast more than a day and a half without... Uh, how come I can't, you know, I, I pray for people. I, well, we got a few headaches healed, but, you know, nobody's being raised from the dead. No limbs are appearing on, you know, amputated bodies. No, you know, these things that were happening in the Bible aren't happening. And so what, what, ha- what usually happens in religious circles is we make excuses why it's not happening. We, we sort of create, a, a, you know, a, a, a series of theologies that say, well, you know, it's not the time, or it's not this, or it's not God's will, or, or you know, maybe later, or before only. You know, what we do is we, we create dispensations so that we don't have to be accountable for the fact that the Bible says we have this enormous power in us, yet there's no evidence of it. And I'm not, I'm not saying no evidence. I'm just saying if God is, you know, God spoke and created the universe, surely... There should be more. I, at least, I, it seems to me that there should be more. And so my question is always, well, God, why not? And I'm not, it's not about blaming anybody. It's about seeking for real answers. And the first time I was out witnessing, I ran across this question. I was so disillusioned because, and have you heard me say this before, Dallas, Texas, we went out to the, the streets where the gays and prostitutes were, and we'd been praying in tongues for weeks. I mean, praying in tongues. We did every prophetic act known to man. And, and you know, we, we went down there, and I thought, man, this is going to be so amazing. The presence of God is with us. We're going to be on the streets. They're going to be walking by. They're going to be dropping like flies. They didn't. They, they, they were like, shoe fly. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure they didn't do that to Jesus. Which I can't even say is true necessarily, because certainly the, largely the center of the world was not focused on Jesus. But wherever Jesus went, he made a spectacle. And people couldn't ignore him. They either loved him or they hated him, but they couldn't really ignore him. So, Job chapter 12. And it comes out of the language because God is trying to say to Job, listen, you don't even really know who I am. You're spending so much time trying to defend yourself against something you don't understand when you should have been defending me. 
And so God starts to unveil this amazing revelation of him. But already Job had some significant insight, at least academically, into God. So it was Job that said these scriptures. But here, let me read them. Job 12, verse 14 to 15. If he breaks a thing down, it cannot be rebuilt. If he imprisons a man, there can be no release. If he withholds the water, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the earth. I want you to think about the finality of these things, the all-comprehensive nature of God's power, that when God destroys a thing, it cannot be rebuilt. There's kind of a finality to that. It's like a completeness. It's just done. When God does this, it cannot be undone unless God says, let it be undone. If God closes a door, it can't be opened. And if God opens a door, it can't be closed. You know why this is so good? Is because we are accustomed to living in a world of half measures, half successes, and and uh, and and that is the evidence that God is not completely involved. And the real issue for us is how do we get God more involved in what we're doing? But let me turn the question around: How do we get more involved in what God is doing? And the truth is, part of the problem is we're trying to get God involved in what we are doing, when what we need to do is get more involved in what He is doing. Because when He is doing a thing, it will be done. So, the second part, of course, if He prisons a man, there can be no release. And the last part, if He withholds the waters, they dry up. And if He sends them out, they overwhelm the earth. He's talking about rain here. But when I heard those words, if he sends them out, they overwhelm the earth. I want you to think about that. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the earth. Father, I pray today that the supremacy of what you are intending to do, what you have planned to do, what you have decided to do before the foundation of the earth I pray, God, that we in our hearts could fully comprehend the greatness of the measure, the standard that is in you to see this done. Lord, we pray, God, we want to be part of the generation that comes up to the level of your desire. We pray in Jesus' name. Now, he's talking about the supremacy, the overwhelming capacity that God has. Here's another scripture. There's, there's two more I'll just quickly share. First one is First John 5, 4. And you heard me share this again and again. It's one of the things that always comes back to me. And this is what it says. John, John the, the Apostle John wrote this. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. See, I love that scripture and I hate it at the same time because it was always the scripture that God would come back to me when I would do something in his name and it didn't have his power and I would complain bitterly that this is not working and how unfair that is that this is not happening because the Bible says and God said and I think that and I was pure in what I did and it was all God and it was not me. And God is saying, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. The criteria, what you're saying if you're saying that, you're either lying or you're calling me a liar. 
Because the Bible says whatever's born of God overcomes the world. Whatever's born of God, the world has no response to. The world just, you know, it's like standing, the gates of hell are there, and then they're gone. They're just, whatever is born of God overcomes everything. Up, down. It's just, it's just finished. And so God is always coming to me and says the very fact that there's struggle in your life, the very fact that there is you, you, you are, you're having trouble making this happen means I'm less involved than I could be. If I were involved, it would be easy. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we think of that and, oh, you know, it would be so nice to have this. God is such a God of restoration and peace. Hey. I worked really hard. I'm tired. And now he needs to restore me with that, that, that atmosphere. That's not what it's really about. Yes, he restores. Yes, he does that. But what he's saying is, listen, stop laboring in your own strength. Stop doing things that cost you all of your energy, with all of your effort, all of your, your emotion, all of your strength with so little return. There is a way that works. And wouldn't you rather do it that way? But there's something in my heart that's disposed to doing it this way. And I think, well, God, how do, I, how do I change this? How do I turn this around? And it always comes back to the same thing. God, you know, and I'm not pointing my finger at you. I'm pointing my finger at me. And if it works for you, then take it. But God said nothing's impossible to him that believes. So every time I would... You know, in my frustration, I come to pray, God praying, said, well, the church is not cooperating. You gave me this great vision to do this great thing, and they're not recognizing who I am. They're not helping me. This is not working. And God's like, okay, let's go back to the beginning. Where do you think the problem is here? You and I are trying to do this thing. I'm all powerful. Whatever I say, whatever I do overcomes the world. If I send a thing out, it overwhelms the earth. And you say it's not working. One guess where the weakest link is. You know, at first that was such a painful truth. It was like, you know, know, my, my sense of myself, my balloon would get popped again and again and again. It's like... But I was sure this was pure. I was sure this was you. And I began to realize that this is the journey. Less of me and more of him. And that's not a self-deprecating thing. That's just, when it comes to the mix, he said, what I want is more of me in terms of effort, in terms of energy. I want the substance of this to be born of me. And not you partnering with me. Not you saying, wow, this is great. All of my needs could be met by aligning with God's needs. And so I'll play along. He said, no, this this has to be about me from start to finish. And the question is, is it in your heart really about me? Or what is that word in the U.S. politics when they pass a bill and and they add a whole bunch of pork belly bill. Pork belly bill. They call, so 
Everybody says, okay, we're going to make this easier. We're going to pass this bill. But if you want us to vote yes for this, then throw in a little something for me. And throw in a little something for me. Every congressman say, throw, well, throw in this for my constituency. And if you want my vote, you've got to throw in this. So they end up this, this bill to get that one thing that's good for all the people. You've got to pass all this stuff that meets everybody's agenda. And that's what we do to God. We say, Lord, you know, we, we align enough to, with God that our pork belly bill will pass. And then God comes and says, listen, let my will be done. The reason why there's a diminished amount of power in the things that you're doing for God is because there's a lot that you're packing into it that's for you and not for me. What if it could be all about me? And again... It's, it's a battle of realities. And that's why he always would bring you back to these scriptures. He said, listen, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. I remember way back when um, I first used to hear about, about church divisions. And I, I read the scripture. It said, you know, God will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So there you go. There's the promise right there. And here we're going along, and we got this home group, and we got this meeting, and we got this group of people that are meeting together. And this is God. This is so much God. It's so pure. It's amazing. And also, explosion. People hating each other. There's not even a church there anymore. The relationships are fragmented. And, and people are going, oh, that was such a great, I've never, that, that was so God. You know, how could these things happen? Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. So it means somewhere in the fabric of this whole thing, there was something there that didn't meet the criteria of overcoming the whole world or even the gates of hell. Because Satan got in there and destroyed God's church. Satan can't destroy God's church. Satan can only destroy man's church. Satan can't destroy what God builds. Because if God builds something, it can't be destroyed. If God puts a man in prison, he can't be released. If God sends them out, they will overwhelm the earth. Either these things are true or they're not. And every time I come to this place of potentially making it about somebody else not lining up to my perfect will, I mean God's perfect will, God says, yeah, but. Yeah, but. And he just wouldn't let me live behind the veil of false defenses. He said, listen, if you want to get past this, Mark, you need to recognize the truth. And the truth is what you already know. Come on. You already know nothing's impossible to him that believes. I'm sure I believed. Yeah, I'm a liar. That's the solution. Nothing's impossible to him that believes. Have you noticed the way we run to our own defense? Well, I prayed the prayer, and I believed, and nothing happened. Okay. I, I, I run into a lot of disillusioned Christians, a lot of Christians who, well, you know, I prayed to God, and I did it the right way, and I had faith, 
And I said in the name of Jesus at the end, and I fulfilled all the criteria, and God didn't do it. Therefore, God's not real. Yeah, so there's no chance here of human error. See, to me, it just narrows down the scope of where I need to look for what's wrong if I know it's always me. It just makes it easier. You know, if you lost your keys, but you had them right there at the front door and you didn't go anywhere, they've got to be right there at the front door. You narrow the area that you need to look for that where they are because well, that's where you have them last, right? And so God is saying, listen, let's narrow down the problem to you. And again, the famous one is, yeah, I'm, yeah, true, except, Lord, it's the church. It's the woman you gave me. It's my children. I would have had a great marriage because I was the perfect husband, except for... Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. So when, the, when I ran across this verse the other day, immediately saw the early church. And what I saw in the early church was an unconquerable people. I mean, the church spread like a virus. Just, I mean, just went out. It just, wherever it went. And I mean, the, the authorities, I mean, went, of course, right up to Rome. There was people right in, in the emperor's household who were born again. I mean, this thing made its way into every society. And next thing you know, there are churches building, being built up everywhere. It's just going, it's just going, and it's going. It's like, woo, hallelujah. What is it about that version of things that's different than our version of things? Years ago, we were talking about this, and a friend of mine was sharing. And it's from a scripture that, um, well, there's a couple of scriptures. Let me see if I can find it here. It's in Matthew, I think, 9, 37. There's two scriptures. One of them is that when Jesus, it's in early John, but it says the fields are white to harvest, right? So he said the harvest is already ready. It's ready. It's ready to go. And that's what Matthew 9 is saying. He said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So what does he do next? Does he say, so Go. Does he say go? No, he says pray. He says, the laborer, uh, the harvest is ready, but the laborers are few. So pray. What are you praying for? He says, pray that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And the first time I heard this, my friend was sharing. He says, he says there's many who go. There's few that are sent. When I, when I heard this verse... If God sends them, they will overwhelm the earth. If God sends them, they will overwhelm the earth. Now, he, he's, he's talking about rain in the context of, of Job 12, but really it applies to everything God does. Whether he imprisons a man, whether he breaks a thing, whether he opens a door, whether he sends them out. When he sends them out, if he sends them out, they will overwhelm the earth. So Jesus is very correct when he's saying, pray that you be sent. Because if he sends you out, nothing can stop you. Nothing can stop you. What does this do? It frees us to be accountable to one simple truth. If we could have been stopped... 
And this is what I this is where I kept coming to, you know, at certain plateaus in our ministry. And I thought, I thought, God, you know, you said to do this, but it's not working. Obviously, those people that you've called to support this aren't doing what they're supposed to. He said, no, it's just me and you in this equation. Just me and you. What's missing is something in you. Quit blaming the world around you. Let me, let me free you from this this thing you know i just keep trying to build up the pressure in my in your life to change you and you keep letting out you got this little release valve that takes the pressure off which is blaming others well it's because i'm a woman well it's because i'm not a part of the special families in the in that denomination that you know only certain people get in and well it's because of my color it's because i'm short it's because i don't have hair it's because I'm not married. It's because, it's because, it's because. If he sends them, they will overwhelm the earth. The freedom in this allows you to concentrate on changing one thing. Because you can spend your, all your energy trying to change the world. Trying to make everybody the way they should be. Well, they should have thanked me. Well, they should have done this. Well, they should have been nicer. Well, they should not have sat there. Well, they should have brought more money. Well, they should have. Your frustration in your life is not really connected to anybody else's obedience or disobedience. Your happiness, your future, your destiny, your ability to walk in God's plan is contingent upon the proportion of God in your life versus the proportion of you at work in your life. So I was at uh, guy's house this last week and uh, new house in Nashville. I go to take a shower and the shower is not very warm. It's one of those showers where it's one handle, right? So you got the cold and you got the hot. And when you go to the top, it's like... Uh, it just wasn't very hot. So I, I, I said to my friend, I said, yeah, it wasn't very hot there. I don't know what's going on. And so he comes in and he turns the tap on the sink. And well, he's actually running this one for about 10 minutes. Nothing happened. It's still pretty lukewarm. But he turns the sink on and he says, oh, well, there's hot water here. Feel that. So I felt that. And it was significantly hotter than the shower. He said, what it is, is there is a, a proportion of hot water and cold water that's determined by the fixture. And the fact that you can't get it hotter is because it's not set right. It's not set, so all of the hot is coming in. The opening that's allowing the water to come out, it, it's tapping out about three-quarters. So you're, getting, you're only getting a little bit of the hot that could be gotten. Uh, does that make sense? And I'm, I, as I was thinking about it, I thought, that's... that's that's us. That's us in our life. It's like, there's, not, there's no more power. And, and God is saying, yeah, you, your setting is off. You, you need to, I need to do something in your heart so that your heart turns fully toward me. Right now, that setting is it's only going so far because you, you've got things there. If we could just determine what those things are that keeping this keeping that heart from turning all the way toward me. Then, then we could fix that. Well, what does that mean in practical terms? Like, what does it mean when 
my heart's not all the way turned towards the Lord. But the reason why God is always talking about the heart is because it's all about the proportion of how much you go into a thing and how much God goes into the thing. And the way your heart is turned is toward your confidence. How much do you think you're supposed to do? Really? Not in your mind. Not in your mind. Oh, we got it all worked out in our minds. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's supposed to be God. It's very great when you can do that academically. But it's the heart. The evidence is, that, is, is the amount of God in a thing. When people come across something, wow, God is really in this. It's because the people at the core that are birthed that thing have allowed more of God in or less of God. And so what we're trying to do is find out, okay, God, what is this thing? What is it I trust in? What is it I believe in that's more related to the things that I do? I mean, I know I have a responsibility, but... but. My responsibility is so, so low. I pray for the sick. Let's pray for the sick. Nobody gets healed. Hmm. Well, I prayed for the sick, and I know my heart was in it. I know I had faith, and nothing happened. Must be something in the technique. Well, there might be some things in technique, but that's never the main issue. The main issue is always the heart. Always the heart. Father, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I pray. Lord, we know the language of repentance. We know the language that we talk about, turn your hearts. Turn your hearts toward me. But, Lord, we, we don't know our heart. We don't know how it's diverted in so many ways. And yet James says, cleanse your heart, you double-minded. He's talking about the love for the world, the love for the things that are in the world. He says, cleanse your heart, purify your heart. So Lord, we want to just come to you today and we want to say this. And we're not... We're not presenting as though, okay, this is how we do it from now on. What we're saying to God, we're just coming and saying to God, God, show me how to be full-hearted. How do I be full-hearted? What are the things in my journey, in my, in my upbringing, in my life that have kept me from being full-hearted towards you? Why am I so fragmented? God, I want to be I want to be a person who can be full-hearted and I want to be full-hearted towards you. Some of us are full-hearted towards things. It's just the wrong things. Football, sin, hobbies, church life. We want to be full-hearted, full-hearted towards the right thing. But what, is the, what do you do if you can't be full-hearted? How do you fix that? Only God can do that. And what he has to do is he has to come in and he has to confront all the things that you love. I remember that movie a few years ago. 
Who's the Iron Man actor? Yeah, him. Robert Downey Jr. He come across this street guy who plays, a, he's a musician. And he's an amazingly talented musician. And he watches this guy's passion for this. And he, he makes this statement. He said, I have never loved anything the way this man loves music. And I think that's where we are, largely are in our culture. Fragmented. We love a lot of things. Somebody's phone's ringing. We are fragmented. We are given to. We are... So how do we get that? How do we turn our hearts fully towards the Lord? Only the Holy Spirit knows. But believe it or not, like Job, we are on a journey and God is saying, I could do this if you want it. I could do this. But do you want it? Why it's important is I believe we're coming to a time when God is going to reach into the streets into the highways and the byways and he's going to grab the new agers and he's going to grab the prostitutes and he's going to grab the artists and he's going to grab the new agers. He's going to grab them because they are full-hearted and they may be full-hearted towards the wrong things but sometimes it's easier for God to grab somebody who's full-hearted towards the wrong things and he's than to grab somebody who's fragmented and unite them in one heart. So that's what he does. That's what he said to the Pharisees. He said, he said, you guys are so given to your own interests. I'm going to go find a people who are not my people, and I'll send them out, and they will overwhelm the earth. And so we're here today to say to the Holy Spirit, and I'm, I'm saying this today, and join with me right now. God, I want to be single. I want my eye to be single. I want my heart to be fully yours. I want to be be able to enjoy you in everything, but I want it to be about you in everything. Lord, we we say today, and I feel pain in my heart right now. Don't be afraid. I'm not having a heart attack. But I feel pain, literally, physically in my heart right now. And I'm inviting you, Holy Spirit. As you are looking over the face of the earth, looking to and fro for the ones whose heart are fully yours, we want to rise to meet the criteria of what it is you're looking for in a people. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, do what we can't do. Make us fully devoted to you. I feel particularly burdened for the class of Christian who's been around a long time. We've been to every kind of seminar. We've been to every kind of conference. And we have all of the appropriate techniques of Christianity in the arsenal of our knowledge. We have it. We we know the right technique behind praying. We know the right inflection. We know how to say in the name of Jesus and emulate full-heartedness. We know how to intercede. We know how. And yet there's this disconnect because the power, the power we sometimes see in others, 
when they pray, when they declare, when they stand and witness for Jesus, it's just not there when we do it. So we want to lay down, God, the knowledge that has no power. We want to lay down the expertise that doesn't bring the kingdom of God. We want to lay down, we want to lay down the assumptions that we know God. We want to say, Holy Spirit, teach us. Holy Spirit, come and make me holy. So today we want to pray as we're closing to say, Holy Spirit, we invite you to examine the cords of our hearts. We invite you to examine us in your light. And we say, we will make ourselves accountable to the truth. And where we have lied, where we've defended ourselves, where we've been insecure about our position or our role or our function, we say, Lord, it's all you. It's all you. It's all you. We need it to be you. So, Lord, if you have to start from the ground up again to remake us, then do it. But we are not content to have half measures. We are not content to be lukewarm. We are not content to be half-hearted. We are not content to be double-minded. So bring the fire. Bring the fire that sends the people out to overwhelm the earth. Bring the fire that changes us from a Cephas into a Peter into a rock, into a manifestation of your kingdom. Lord, those men, they were no better than us. But when you sent them out, they overcame the whole world. They changed the whole world. God, come and do what you need to do in us to make us harvesters, to make us laborers. Send us out, Holy Spirit, in your power and in your strength. Do what you need to do.